This is Right From The Deep. I'm Karen Ball. And I'm Erin Taylor-Young. And this is the podcast from writers for writers, answering the question, why am I doing this? Right. As writers, editors, and a former literary agent, we're in the deep with you, encouraging you and equipping you to find your truest story in the deep places. Get our show notes and more, including a free audio download on how to safeguard your writer's heart at writefromthedeep.com. Hi, friends. We've got some exciting things happening at Right From The Deep, not the least of which is to say thanks to our patrons on Patreon. You helped make this show possible. We couldn't do it without you. That is very true. And special thanks to our April sponsor of the month, Tammy Partlow. Yay, Tammy. She's a writer and a speaker at Women's Retreats, and her book, Blood Beneath the Pines, is a tale of prevailing justice set mostly in the Deep South. You can learn more about Tammy at her website, TammyPartlow.com, and that's T-A-M-M-Y P-A-R-T-L-O-W.com. And how's this for exciting? For the next few months, we have a sponsorship from the Novel Marketing Podcast. Yay! You can find it at novelmarketing.com. And we highly recommend this podcast and its host, Thomas Umstead Jr., who is a genius on marketing and all things publishing. And in this sponsorship, we've been bringing you Novel Marketing's 10 Commandments of Book Marketing. That's right. And this week, we're talking about commandment number three, thou shalt persist in thy craft. Let's face it, guys, we all learn to write what? Somewhere in grade school, right? We can make sentences and paragraphs, and sometimes we even punctuate properly. But writing well, really communicating well, and knowing, say, how to create a good structure for a book, or that there is structure, that's another story story altogether. So to say someone who can make sentences on a page can write a great book, it's kind of like saying anyone who can talk can win an Academy Award for acting. You know, most writers don't even know what they don't know. Right. You need to get help from professionals, you know, like me and Aaron <laughs> and Thomas, and listen to them. And you need to read and study excellent books on your genre. That's right. Exactly. And here's the thing. Writing is a skill and it deserves your best effort, guys. So for more book promotion and platform help, listen to Novel Marketing in your favorite podcast app or at novelmarketing.com. We've also been sharing wonders with you that God has shown us. And my husband and I just returned from a wonder, and that's the Oregon coast. As we were walking along the beach and as we were driving along Highway 101 and seeing the rock formations and hearing the pounding surf, it just, it amazed me what God has created there. So if you ever get the chance to go to the Oregon coast, do it, because you will see the wonder of God's creation everywhere you look. That's right. And now, here's the the show. show. Welcome, listeners, to The Deep. We have such an exciting show for you today because, da-da-da, we have a... (laughs) Lindsay A. Franklin, and Erin is going to introduce her. I love it when I get to introduce somebody. (laughs) I first met Lindsay at the Mount Hermon Christian Writers Conference way back before she was published. And now, guys, she's a Carol Award-winning author. Yes, indeed. And her first book, The Story Peddler, which was a YA fantasy published by Enclave, it won the Carol Award for debut novel. I'm just so thrilled. And then that was the first book of a three-book trilogy, and that third just came out, like, I think last year, right when maybe COVID was shutting everything down. 
around, so that may have been interesting. Um, we may even talk about that a little today. Uh, Lindsay is a freelance editor as well and a homeschooling mom of three. And this is my favorite thing, guys. She would wear pajama pants all the time if it were socially acceptable. Yeah, she's wearing them now. <laughs> I'm, and, and I'm wearing them too. So, <laughs> yeah, that, so out of it with my jeans. <laughs> right. So professional, Well, Lindsay, as you can see, we are glad to have you. Welcome. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited to be here. In your pajama pants. In my pajama pants, always, when I can get away with it, always. So, um, Lindsay, our first thing we always want to find out from listeners is, what does the deep mean to you? Oh, that's a really great question. Um, To me, the deep it's like an intense, quiet place. Does that make sense? Does that, you know, description kind of capture it? Um, The places that are, that are the deep places for me are the ones where it's just me and it's God and that's it. So um, I'm really excited to, to talk to your listeners today about some of these things, because man, I feel like um, I spend half my life kind of pulling from the deep. uh, (laughs) I'm sure many of your listeners can relate, and you guys probably can too. <laughs> yes, yes, we can. In fact, let's let's kind of start even more from the beginning. We met, I mentioned, at a writers' conference, and so, like, what what were you doing there? What made you <laughs> pursue writing to begin with? I think, like a lot of writers, maybe especially fiction authors, I always wrote stories. That was just something I did. I didn't realize that was unusual. Um, you know, I was like 11 years old writing a novel, and I just didn't know that that wasn't a thing that a lot of people did as a pastime. Um, and it honestly never occurred to me all throughout my childhood, my adolescent years. I didn't realize that could be a career. You know, mm. obviously I knew people did that, but right. it, it it never occurred to me that that could be something I would get into as a career. I wanted to be an attorney. I thought about being an English teacher. Like those seemed like careers to me and writing books, telling stories. That was just a thing that I did. So mm. um, it I didn't think about it very seriously until I wrote a book as an adult. You know, I wrote a fantasy manuscript as an adult and thought, well, maybe other people would want to read this. I should look into what publishing is all about. That might be a thing I should do. And this is like in 2009 or so. So there wasn't the information out there about indie publishing that that if I were doing those searches now, there would be a whole different, you know, world for me to discover as a young writer. And maybe I would have pursued that avenue. But um, in 2009, indie publishing was um, certainly gaining steam, but it wasn't quite the thing that it is in 2021. So I ended up researching what traditional publication was like, and I found out that literary agents were a thing. And so... um, I was very green. Let's let's put it that way. Um, I found my my future agent on online through, you know, various searching and clicking and all of these different things. And I just really connected with her bio on the agency website. 
And I saw on her schedule that she was planning to be at a writer's conference coming up in two weeks. And so my husband (laughs) said, you should do this. And he booked me a flight and I went. And we had little children at the time. Like looking back, it's like, what in the world were we thinking? But that's how I ended up at my my first writer's conference. And I pitched to that agent. I had no clue what I was doing. and, And she saw potential. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> let's put it that way. <laughs> and uh, she told me to submit. And so I went home and rewrote my entire manuscript because I learned about point of view. I learned about show, don't tell at that conference. Mm-hmm. And so I knew I needed to rewrite my draft because it was such a mess. But I did that and then submitted the full to her some months later. And by the end of that year, I was signed with wow. her. So Very cool. And that was the Mount Hermon Writers Conference, and your agent is Rachel Kent. That is very cool. Well, I remember one of the one of the visits that I had at Mount Hermon and where you and I met each other, I remember we had a conversation about some health issues that you were dealing with. What happened with that? this is a complicated question because my family is, we're a medically complicated family. And um, so we may have talked at the time about my son's issues. We may have talked about my issues. They're all, you know. I think you were still looking for answers for your issues. Yeah. Yes, that's probably um, accurate given the time frame. So I have Ehlers-Danlos Syndrome. And that is a connective tissue disorder. It basically means that the collagen in my body is is put together in a structurally unsound way, if that's a helpful description of it. So my, my collagen is faulty. And, you know, you don't think about collagen probably unless you have a collagen <laughs> disorder. <laughs> but it's in everything. So it's in your bones, it's in your eyes, it's in your skin, it's in your organs. I mean, it's just everywhere in your body. So you can imagine that if your your collagen is even just a little bit wonky, it kind of affects wow. everything, everything in your body. So I was someone who was chronically ill or in pain or struggling with something health-related, but doctors looked at me, they they ran tests on me and there would be indicators of illness and indicators of, you know, something, but they couldn't, I I was healthy by most of their standards. So they would notice things like severe vitamin deficiencies, but never really have a reason why I was severely vitamin deficient despite having a healthy diet or supplementing. And so there were indicators. I mean, I ended up in the ER one time because I was sitting there watching TV and half my face went completely numb. I mean, I thought I was having a stroke and every, I mean, my tongue even went numb. It was so bizarre, such a bizarre feeling. And I ended up in the ER, but, you know, they did all of the tests. They did MRIs. They, you know, my brain looked fine. They couldn't figure out what in the world had happened. And ever since then, I've continued to just randomly get transient numbness in certain parts of my body for for no good reason, really, except that everything is just not put together quite the way it's supposed to be. So, yeah. Wow. Well, so how do you deal with that? And be a writer at the same time? And how did it come also to be known as the disease that you now know you have? Yeah. So because this is something that I've always lived with and I've always had 
plans and goals and interests and and things that I wanted to do with my life. It just, maybe that's one, this is going to sound very strange when I first say it, but maybe that's one kind of benefit of of a chronic illness that you're born with and you just, it's part of your existence. Either either you're going to let that swallow everything about your future and and everything about what you want in, in life or you're going to kind of adapt and find some way to um, still pursue your dreams, to still have the things that that you want, that you're able to pursue in life. Sometimes our illnesses do take things off the table for us. That's a very real fact. And so definitely not trying to discount that. There are certain things in life that I would love to do that I just won't or can't. And you know, there's a grieving process with that sort of thing. But but on the the other hand, I've always been driven. I've always had goals. And so I I just need to keep pressing forward and recognizing that my life kind of, it, it doesn't belong to me. <laughs> my source of energy and strength, it's coming from elsewhere anyway. So I'm just going to use what's available to me in any given moment and keep pressing forward. Um, so that's kind of how I approach things. I also try to be really realistic about what I am able to handle. And that varies for me during different seasons. Sometimes I have a ton of energy. I'm feeling really great. If I'm not having a cycle of migraines and cluster headaches, for example, you know, I'm doing great. I can work eight hours a day like anybody else and just, you know, really stay on top of my work life. And then other seasons, it's not that at all. And so I have to build extra time into deadlines, extra time into pretty much everything because, you know, my illness is unpredictable. I don't know when I'm suddenly going to go numb or have a migraine or, you know, be dealing with joint pain or or any of those things. So I have to, I have to plan to not be able to plan. (laughs) So you're not the only one in your family dealing with this though. Correct. It's a genetic disease. So my my mom and I actually laugh about this now because for so many years throughout, you know, my later teens, I got married when I was 18. So I was out oh. of the house, you know, fairly, fairly young. And so I'd be calling up my mom in my late teens or, you know, throughout my my early to mid twenties and telling her because this this disease progresses, you know, it mm-hmm. as you age, your body is a little less resilient. So if you have hypermobility issues, which comes with Ehlers-Danlos, you might have a bunch of dislocations as a kid. And then as you get older, you have dislocations and subluxations, but they might result in ligament tears because you're you're getting older. Right. You know? So um, so it's progressive in that sense. And I would call my mom up and say, you know, this weird thing happened. Or I remember one time I was just standing there doing something and all of a sudden a blood vessel, you know, burst in my hand and for no reason. I didn't hit it on anything, you know, and I was just like, <laughs> Like, what in the world? You know, <laughs> I called my mom and she goes, oh, yeah, that happens sometimes. <laughs> and it's because she has the same genetic condition that I do and she didn't know it. So we kind of became this self-perpetuating sort of cycle of affirming that these strange things happening to our bodies that it was normal because it was happening to both of us, but it's because I have her genes. Um, <laughs> so she has she has EDS. Uh, we think she got it from my grandpa. And then I have three children and my two younger children have also been diagnosed mm-hmm. with EDS. What, what, how did it finally get diagnosed though? Like who discovered this finally? 
I want to say, I guess it would have been in 2016, I was in a yoga class and, um, you know, because I'm hypermobile, I'm very flexible. So I was doing some show-offy kind of pose and I did the pose just fine, but didn't very gently come out of it. And my, so something happened with my leg (laughs) and my uh, kneecap actually dislocated for the second time. So that happened to me when I was 18 and the paramedics had to come and pop my knee back into place. But I recovered okay from that because I was 18. When this happened in 2016, I was, I don't know, mid-30s, somewhere in there. I'm 38 now, so we can do the math backwards. Um, (laughs) uh, So when that dislocated, one of my ligaments in my knee tore. And so um, I had to have surgery to correct that and EDS tissue doesn't always heal very well from surgery. So my recovery was complicated and long. And I just thought, you know, something is not right here. I mean, something is something is off. My physical therapist who was working with me after that um, surgery, I was seeing her three times a week for months. And I had a weird complication with my recovery where I developed adhesions all over the place in, (sighs) in my knee. So I had to go back under anesthesia and the surgeon had to you know, manually break the adhesions. And he just, you know, he's this orthopedic surgeon. He says, you're my youngest patient. You're my healthiest patient. I don't know why you are the one having this complication. He's like, these kinds of things keep me up at night. Like, what is the deal with, <laughs> with you? I don't get you. <laughs> I'm like, me neither. If you can ever figure it out, let me know. Um, but it was actually the physical therapist uh, because we chatted so much while she was torturing me um, during the physical <laughs> trying to get my knee to bend again. We would talk about my headaches and we would talk about some of my other symptoms. And so she was actually the first medical professional to look at the whole picture of my health um, in the way, honestly, in the way a general practitioner probably should be, you know, looking at, at the big picture. So I don't really have an explanation as to why it kind of, you know, went under the radar for so long when I did seek help for a number of different things. You know, you'd think somebody would be thinking at some point that there's a systemic issue here and we should be looking at those kinds of things. But I think that we're just sort of now catching up in the U.S. The U.K. is a little bit ahead of us in regard to connective tissue disorders. So there's a lot more information out there and help. Uh, the NHS is a little more aware of of these conditions for whatever reason that just they've done more research there. With my son's rare condition, we've done more research here in the U.S. So it just kind of depends. So yeah, she, my physical therapist was the one who said, you know, you really need to... Um, to talk to the surgeon about this again and see if they'll refer you out to like a rheumatologist or geneticist or somebody. Cause she's like, I think you've got something going on with your, your connective tissue. And it was a geneticist who finally diagnosed me, but it was that physical therapist who set the wheels in motion. I listened to you and being able to hear all that and look back, it's as though God oversaw the whole thing. Well, of course he did, but you can see his hand in all of it, that you wanted to be a writer and not an Olympian, that <laughs> you you had a mother who was able to affirm to you that, yes, this happens to me as well. And even though you didn't find a medical professional who got it until 2016, that person was there for you and had the wherewithal to look at it and send you where you needed to go for a diagnosis. As somebody who has a number of 
health issues that weren't diagnosed because there was, wasn't a lot of information like for fibromyalgia. I have fibromyalgia, so does Aaron, in fact. And, you know, being told it's all in your head, you're a hypochondriac woman, all those kinds of things. Oh, yes. You know, but the, <laughs> but the physical proof is there. They can't deny the physical proof. They just can't explain it. So God's hand is there providing all along the way for you. How did your faith develop in the face of all this? Did you, I, I remember being so angry when I didn't know what was going on. My body was working against me and, and I couldn't figure out why. I couldn't figure out, you know, if, if, I'm, if I'm wonderfully made, then why am I so messed up? You yeah. know, what, am I a hypochondriac? And, and just really having wrestling matches with God and saying, I trust you, help me with my lack of trust. You know? <laughs> I love, okay, that verse in, I think even before I was actually a believer and I was sitting there as a teenager with, you know, my first student Bible or whatever, and it was in uh, Mark, that may be also in um, others of the Gospels. But the one that I saw specifically was in Mark, and it was, uh, Lord, I believe, help me with my unbelief. I was like, right here, my man. I (laughs) get that guy. I was like, yep understand. He he is my my heart friend. I, I feel you, sir. Uh, yeah. Um, I think for, by the time my own diagnosis came, I had processed so much related to chronic illness because of my oldest son. Now, my one son who does not have EDS um, was born with a rare lesion on his brain. So, yeah. So my poor husband is like the only like healthy whole person in our our family. He's just like, it's fine. I will take care of all of you. It's totally fine. Wow. Uh, But yes, our oldest has what's called a hypothalamic hamartoma, if I can get those words all out. It's a Mm. mouthful. So from the time he was an infant, he was having seizures. There's a whole host of of issues that come. You can imagine having any kind of lesion in your brain can lead to a lot of of different things. And so for some kids, they'll get precocious puberty. So you have like babies going through puberty because of where the lesion is on their brain. And so that didn't really happen to my son, but he was shaving by the time he was like nine or something. So it happened a little bit to him, but it wasn't as, as bad as like the infant going through puberty. But he had a really difficult time with seizures. He's on the autism spectrum and there's just a lot of stuff that came with that. So I was 18 when I had him. My husband was 20. So we were very very young parents dealing with a kid who was sick. And um, I was new in my faith. (laughs) Our marriage was new. It's like, it was such an intense season for sure. And he did not get diagnosed. My son did not get a full diagnosis until he was 13 years old. He's 20 now. So so that was um, quite a long journey. And I went through all of the emotions that you're describing, I kind of had that with him, um, with my son's condition where, you know, there were moments where I felt like, God, why are you being so mean to my baby? It's like, why is this happening to him? Um, And I can recall, you know, trying to make deals with God, like, okay, I will do this, this, and this, if you will just, you know, just give some relief to, you know, this situation. Um, So I definitely went through all of that. And, you know, in a, in a, a season so intense where my husband and I had so 
few tools at our disposal. I mean, because we had no clue what we were doing. We were kids ourselves raising this baby. And so it was like, okay, we are either going to rely on God completely because there was no sense that, oh, I've got this. I can handle this on my own. I mean, they were like, no idea. I didn't even know how to change a diaper when I had my my baby. So me neither. Uh, you know, yeah, I mean, it's, you know, so it's like when you are already, you feel that kind of clueless with the basic stuff. And then you're like, oh, and my kid's having seizures. That's great. Um, you know, I we just didn't even really have a choice uh, except to absolutely rely on God to just show us the very next thing that he wanted us to do. I I am a long range planner. I like to see the whole picture. I like to, you know, consider all of the options and then make really good choices based on everything I can see. Like that's how I'm built. And God was like, no, we're not going to do any of that. I'm going to teach you (laughs) trial by fire. I'm going to teach you to only look at the very next step and make the very best choice that you can in that moment, relying on me, on, you know, the Holy Spirit. And we're just going to move forward through your life one stepping stone at a time. And sometimes I felt like I was just getting enough of the next stepping stone to put like my toes on it. And then the fog would clear a little bit more and then I could put like the ball of my foot on the stepping stone. And that is how I lived my life for so many years that that it almost becomes habit when you don't have a choice except to trust. So by the time my diagnosis came along, I was very like zen about the whole thing. (laughs) We finally have a name for the dragon that we've been fighting for. I think I was 35 (laughs) when I finally got diagnosed. I was like, that's awesome. Great. You know, bonus. And now I can actually, you know, name this condition. I can research it. I can figure out what's the best thing I can do for myself? What's the best thing I can do to help my two younger kids prepare for their lives lived and spent with uh, EDS and, you know, really uh, equip them uh, so that they will have more tools. I didn't have any tools. They will be able to have tools. So I just always have to make sure that with them, because they're going to have a much better leg up into, um, into this stuff than I did, I always make sure to point them back to look at the tools that the Lord has given us so that you guys don't have to be in as much pain because, man, I I don't wish kind of the early adulthood that, that I had and that my husband had on anybody else, but I'm like, it really did force us to trust and really like make our faith the center of everything. And so I I hope that my kids will kind of have that experience too, maybe without so much of the hardship, but we'll see. (laughs) Sometimes we need hardship. Yeah. Sometimes I think it's the, in fact, I know it's the hardships that drive us down to, um, I know nothing but Christ and him crucified. That's the only thing I have to hold on to. And that's everything. I mean, that's sufficient. But in our minds, we say things like, you know, I, I can just trust God or all I can do is pray. And and when you come on the other side of it and you look at it, you're like, you guys, you can pray. I mean, can I just tell you how powerful that is? You know, we talk about right. prayer like it's passive and it's not. It's not. Exactly. It's warfare. Prayer is warfare. I, I wish people saw it that way more often. Well, we we have hit the end of our time in being able to talk with you. So we're going to have to have you back on because, Lindsay, I want to know how in the world you wrote 
in the midst of all this. <laughs> Everything that you are going through sounds to me like pretty much a full-time occupation. So um, how you wrote in the midst of it all, I really want to know that and how God led you in that. So we'll have you back on. But thank you so much for what you've shared with us today and, and that powerful truth that when we finally recognize we are not able, that God is able, and he gives us just what we need. He doesn't give us beyond that, but he gives us what he knows we need to keep moving forward. So I'm so grateful that God has been with you and that he has shown himself to you in the way he has. That's very encouraging to me, and I'm sure it is to our listeners as well. So thank you for being here and for sharing all this with us. Thank you so much for having me. It's such a privilege to be able to, to talk to you ladies and your listeners about this. So thank you so much for having me. Thanks, of Lindsay. Course. Thanks for joining us today. You can find previous episodes and more resources at rightfromthedeep.com. And I bet you know someone who needs this podcast, so please share it with them. So until next time, embrace the deep. Your writing and your life will never be the same. Mm-hmm.